0: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media Thanks to the generosity of our supporters Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available To help people look to God daily Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au Today 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 with Jeff Fines,
1: We are taking the gospel to the world Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher Bringing people far from God, near to God We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, Compassion. connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
0: Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Hello, my name is Bill, and today we'll hear the conclusion of Pastor Jeff's message about having faith over fear. The story of Nehemiah should inspire and encourage us to be bold in tackling the projects and passions God puts on our hearts. If you missed the first part of this message, you can always catch up wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. Let's join Pastor Jeff for the rest of this message. He's in the book of Nehemiah.
1: We're in Nehemiah 2. Notice how he relates to the people. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be disgraced. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. Now, here's what this tells me. No matter what you're facing in life, so even if you're not interested in where I'm taking you in Nehemiah, this is special to every risk you ever take in life, okay? No matter what the vision is, there's gotta be three things. There's gotta be one, a calling, two, a passion, and three, faith. There's got to be a calling and it's got to be sure. And there's got to be a passion, a heartfelt passion way down deep inside. And then, and only then will that lead to faith, action-filled faith. The breakdown of any one of those three results in failure. Calling, passion, and faith. Let's deal with the first one. A calling, a sure calling. Nehemiah knew that the people would be temporarily motivated because of their shame. Hebrews were a proud people. And he said, look around at the city, man. Look at this, we're the laughingstock. But he also knew that they knew they were in this situation because God had abandoned them, but God had abandoned them because of their sin. And so they're not gonna be convinced that God will be with them unless God does something to show them that I will rebuild the city of God. So here's what Nehemiah told them. He said, let me tell you about this foreign king. He gave me permission to go and build the city of God. They're going to say, no way. That, you got to understand that just doesn't happen. A foreign king does not give you permission to go and fortify your city so that you can overthrow the king and take power. Nobody does that. And he said, not only that, the king gave me official letters and he gave me even some of his own authority so that I could pass through hostile territory and he gave a letter to me from Asaph or for Asaph who ran the timber yard. And Asaph was going to give him free timber owned by the king so that he can rebuild the walls in the city and even build his own house while he's working on the wall. You've seen these little shacks on construction site. Well, the king said, Nehemiah, take all the wood you want, build yourself a mansion, live there while you're building and working on the wall in the city. Now, do you understand these implications here folks? Imagine Donald Trump. Oh, everybody looked up. Imagine Donald Trump going to Bill Clinton and saying to Bill Clinton, as you know, the election is not too far away. I would like to speak at the Democratic convention. I would like you to give me a letter of recommendation to the Democratic Party. I would like access to all the Democratic funding and I would like you to pay for my hotel room during the week of the convention. The only way that's going to happen is what? Divine intervention. It would have to be an act of God because that ain't never going to happen. And that's exactly what Nehemiah says to the people. Verse eight again, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted me my request. Oh my, guys, look. Look. Look at what look at what's already happened. God has shown that he's with us. He's for us. We can build the city of God and the city of man. And their response, they were so overwhelmed with what they had heard. They said, "Let's do it. Let's roll. Let's get this thing done. Let's start rebuilding the city of God." Based on the confidence of what God had done in Nehemiah's life, they were now ready to move forward. Now, here's the question. This is the big moment. This is the biggest moment we've had so far in this series. Do we have a calling? You have to know that there's a calling. That's the first thing. When you face a big endeavor, you're gonna have fear. If you don't know, if you don't believe there's a calling of God on your life, you're never gonna succeed and you're never gonna do anything worthwhile. But there's a second thing. The passion that you have to achieve the vision has to be heartfelt. Now, here's what I've learned and noticed in 30 plus years of ministry. Remember how I said all of these principles applied? A calling without passion is just a job without joy. God may have wired you and equipped you to do certain things, but if you hate it, your job will suck the life right out of you. And you may give effort to it, but it will be temporary and laborsome. There has to be passion for the calling, and it comes from way down deep. Now, what do I mean by heartfelt passion? Matthew 6 says, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasures, there will your heart be also." Now, can I take another time out? I cannot manipulate you to do this. And I cannot coerce you to do anything. Oh, I can for a while. And the thing pastors have to really watch, and I've said this, is you've got to be careful that you're not building your own kingdom rather than God's. And that's why I don't want to build some big edifice somewhere. For millions and millions of dollars. So people will come and say, look how this beautiful building with glass windows and chandeliers. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that for your sake. And you know what? I don't want to do it for mine. The athlete in me will come out and I don't want it to. This vision is from God because nobody's going to be glorified through that vision other than God. But I know, I know that I can't, you can't manipulate passion. That's like saying to me, hey, I want you to go over and love that girl. You can't do that. It has to come from down deep inside. And this is what I mean by passion. Please listen to the next part because this is so important for some of you because you've been abused and wounded. And let me explain what happens to us. There's two kinds of motivation. There's extrinsic and there's intrinsic. And they're very different. And you have to have a trustworthy relationship with your pastor. You do. And that's why I'm glad that God waited 11 years. You know enough about me now to know whether or not you can trust we're going the right direction. Now, here's the difference. When I was dating my wife, Robin, my motivation was totally extrinsic. I would carry her bags wherever we went. I would open the door for her. If it was raining, a Tennessee thunderstorm, I would put the umbrella on her head, get her out of the car, walk her to the house so that not one drop of water got on her head. But it's all deception. I'm trying to convince her to marry me. So I'm showing her something about me that I'm really not. It's what we do. Now, it's not totally deceptive, but the reason I do the things I do is not out of love, but because I'm hoping to get something that I want. That's extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation means I do something that I might get something. We do that with our children. We say to our kids, I'll let you play video games if you clean your room. When they clean their room, it's not because they love us, they want to play video games. There's something in it for them. It's extrinsic motivation, at least the short term self interested satisfaction. Some of you have been in churches that have told you if you give money to God, he's going to give you a lot of money in return. So you fell for this lie that your motivation for giving money to anything to do with God was so that you could get more money to buy bigger houses and bigger cars and to fill your barns. And I'm sorry that you fell for that. And I'm sorry that you believe that that's not the way it works. The way it works in the kingdom of God is intrinsic motivation. In other words, I do what I do because I've got a deep motivation and burden of the heart. I clean my room because I love my father and I deeply enjoy a clean room. Not so that I will get something. Intrinsic motivation leads to long-term altruistic rewards and deep satisfaction. I give because I believe eternity is real, that heaven is real, that Christ is real, that the lostness of man is real, that the mercy and grace of God are real and the choices I make in my life, that they are real. And one day I'll stand before God and I'll give an account for the time, talents and resources that he sent my way. I don't want you giving anything because you think you're going to get rich. It has to come from down here. And the only way it'll come from down here is if you have a great passion and love for God and the city of God and the city of man. So the question is, where's your deepest intrinsic motivation? Where's your deepest joy? Where's your deepest satisfaction? And wherever that is, that is the place where your best efforts and resources will go. It's just a byproduct of who you are. And you can't fake it. It's just you. And when passion is combined with calling, you die to yourself and you live for God, but not out of obligation, out of love, appreciation. Look, here's what I mean. If I, what if I could stop right now and take you to heaven? What if, we could go, what if we could go for a visit, just for a while? And suddenly you would know, your eyes were open. And you would see that one day we're gonna have reunions with the people that we've loved and lost. I like to think about seeing my mom and my dad there and seeing them there Will just overwhelm me with a peace and a joy. You'll get a, a glimpse of what is to come. And you'll start to know that this place is real and that God is waiting and he is real. But it's not his plan that anyone should perish, but everyone would have everlasting life, that the creator and the creature would have ultimate intimacy and relationship. If I could just take you there and show you that, and you can experience this deep, deep breathing and living and exploring and growing that is to come and experience peace and relief that you're finally resting from all your worries and doubts. If I could take you there, you would have this experience of ecstasy, but I am convinced within a few minutes, you would also have these thoughts, all the missed opportunities that you had while you were here because life here is so short compared to eternity you would start to think about the people who are missing that came across your path every day because of opportunities that you never took. And you'll think about, I think I will think about and you will too, all the resources that you had that you spent on yourself, things that were just gonna fade away. A.W. Tozer says this, a ba- as base a thing as money is, it yet can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor and it can keep a missionary activity or actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Notice the last line, any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Where there is heartfelt passion, where there's a calling, then this is the last part, trust. Are you with me? Yes. You gotta know there's a calling and you, there has to be a passion way down deep inside that when you see this, when you see the potential of what's gonna happen here in our valley, when you see that, some, it, either your heart is stirred and you're thinking, man, this is what my life is ultimately about, or you're just numb to it and you need to be reawakened. It has to come down from here. <coughs> but if you do have that passion and there's a calling, then that's where you begin to trust and trust overcomes fear. You will trust that God will meet all your needs for the task ahead. Remember the saying that we have with the supernatural calling of God comes the supernatural wisdom and power of God to complete the task. Now I wanna show you this final step of Nehemiah here in chapter two. I want you to notice something. In Nehemiah 2.20, Nehemiah said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. Now that same word is used in 2 Chronicles 16. Certainly, the Lord watches the whole earth carefully and is ready to strengthen those who are devoted to him. It's the same word prosper, as if God looks to and fro over planet earth to see whose heart is really bent toward him and suddenly he bends the resources that he may prosper them because he trusts them to build the city of God. And then in Proverbs 21.1, the same idea. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. In other words, God bends the heart of the king toward those who please him. Favor, ultimate favor comes from God. This is the message the Bible gives you and me, that when your heart is turned toward God and he can trust you to use your time and your talents and your resources for the kingdom of God, then it's like streams of water. God starts to bend those streams toward you. But not that you might get more and more wealth and build bigger, bigger barns, but he trusts you. He knows what kind of a God, if he really has a heart for the world, would not send resources to people whom he can trust to build the city of God in the city of man. God resources those he knows will reinvest in eternal things. His favor is on us, but he's waiting for our hearts to get right and to get pure. 2 Corinthians 9, we're told, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Well, if you don't care about reaping generously, you're not gonna sow generously. If there's no passion way down deep inside for you to build the city of God, the eternal city of God, and that's the calling on your life, then you're not really gonna care much about sowing into something if you don't care about a generous harvest. Each of you should give what you've decided in your own heart. You notice this? You notice I have not used the word tithe anywhere in this series because some of you get your backup. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what you and God decide together as the first fruits and very best part of your life. And only you know what that is. He says, Don't give under compulsion, give as a cheerful giver. And then he says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Did you hear that? He trusts you. Streams of water flow toward you. He bends resources toward you to make sure that you have everything you need at the next moment, you want to abound in every good work. Can I go back and read the last lines of A.W. Tozer again? The last line reads, any temporal possession, any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality you can choose to use your resources for things that will die or things that will live forever <laughs> nehemiah a smart leader passionate about building the city of god so passionate that would he leave the palace the comfort of the palace and travel 3 months from susa to jerusalem on long dangerous roads because he was convinced God called him and that he could trust God to prosper him in every way to complete the work. So the real question, are we passionate about this vision? Seeing people far from God coming near and what in our lives gets more of our heart than that? The Bible would tell us whatever that is, that thing is our God. See, that's the beauty of living in life. God sends you so many things and you're allowed to spend them on yourself. But the very best of you, the very best of you goes to God and the city of God. Will we as a people acknowledge the call of God? And then when we give our very best that God may continue to resource our efforts. Here's the thing about revival. It comes when God says it comes. It stays if we position ourselves in a place where God can trust us then the windows of heaven will open and he will use us to change the world. I know this has been used many times. I rewatched it this past week and I want to end with it. Schindler's List, the movie. At the end of the movie, there's a powerful scene. I know that it's been repeated again and again. It's about the life of Oskar Schindler, who was a German industrialist, actually a member of the Nazi party, He's credited with saving over 1,100 Jews during the Holocaust, basically by employing them in his factory, and now I'm aware, an Amonaer and Ammunitions Factory, uh, in occupied Poland. At The end of the movie, again, which is about his life, these 1,100 Jews gather around to express their gratitude. Remember what happened next? Schindler's assistant gives him a ring with an inscription. It's Hebrew from the Talmud. He who saves one life saves the world entire. (laughs) Schindler grabs his hand. Tears come down his cheeks and he whispers, I could have got out more. I could have got out more. Over and over with a sense of desperation, he just keeps repeating, I could have got out more. If I just made more money. And then he laughs, he says, I threw away so much money, you have no idea. And you get the feeling from Spielberg that it's about this time that Oscar Schindler has a transformation of his own. For a while in the movie, his whole motivation was just to show the Germans they couldn't get the better of him. But then it became about people. His assistant looks to him and says, there will be generations because of you. Schindler says, I didn't do enough. I didn't do enough. The assistant says, you did so much. And then Schindler walks over to his car. Remember what he says? This car look at this car. Why did I keep this car? I didn't need the car. 10 people. 10 people right there. I could have gotten 10 people, 10 more people. And then he pulls a pen out of his jacket pocket. He says, look, this pen, two people. This is gold. Two people, at least two people, maybe one, but probably two people. And then he collapses at the realization of what he had done with his life. And he staggers into the arms of his assistant and he kept repeating over and over as the music plays and it just grips you. I could have got one more person, but I didn't. I could have got one more person, but I didn't. I could have got one more person, but I didn't. And he falls into the arms of the entire crowd. As slowly, one Jew after the next gather around him, he continues to weep. I could have gotten one more, but I kept this ring. I just want to ask you, what is it that you would give up for a life? What would you give up for a life? What are you holding on to that God requires for a life? The fear of not having enough is why most of us do not give. And the irony is, God says, if I could trust your heart, I would make the channels flow toward you because I know you're gonna reinvest it in the city of God. And until you overcome fear with faith and passion, God will not trust us to change the world. It's your move. Let's build a city of God together. Father, I thank you and praise you in Christ's name. We're so thankful for the vision that you've given to us. It just feels right, it seems right. Father, I, I ask you to move in a very special way in our lives. We love each other, we're a family here move in our lives help us to see the way forward the excitement around this place to know (laughs) little by little makes a bundle and if we all are engaged this is so easily doable thank you for so many people who give so much for the ministry that happens in this valley there will be a moving of the Spirit of God to call us to greatness. And when we're able to see that greatness through the power of your Spirit, as soon as fear comes in, that it will dissipate under the weight of calling and passion and faith and trust in your provision for our lives as individuals and for our church in Christ's name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines" wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you make-